you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. This podcast is sponsored by Mass Mutual. Every way we look out for the ones we love is an act of mutuality. Mass Mutual can help with the financial ones. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Who wants a gay man in the locker room with them? That should be no big deal today, but that's most people's first thought when an athlete comes up publicly. Never mind that queer people exist in sports, on the field, and in the locker room, regardless of whether they come out of the closet or not. It's that stigma that today's Queer Money guest is on a mission to break, both in sports and in business. Landon Foster had a successful football career as a punter for the University of Kentucky. He was All-American on the field and a two-time academic All-American. Today, Landon is a graduate student at the University of South Florida, St. Petersburg, and just after this recording, accepted a job as an investment banker. Landon gave a TED Talk earlier this year, in 2018, about the barrier he didn't break when he was at the height of his football career. That's why it's his mission today, as he becomes a businessman, to break that barrier in both sports and business. If you like this episode, please take a screenshot on your phone of this episode, share it on Instagram along with your favorite point or quote, and tag at Queer Money Podcast. Here we go. Welcome, Landon Foster, to the show. We appreciate having you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're excited to have you on. David and I watched your TED Talk a couple weeks ago, and we were very inspired. As a well, one, it had to be somewhat scary giving the TED Talk in and of itself. <laughs> but 100%. Then, yes. <laughs> and then talking about the topic itself had to be somewhat daunting as well, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. The combination of the two was definitely, it was definitely interesting and, and a little bit scary, but you know, got through it. <laughs> yeah. You crossed that bridge now. So now it's nothing but onward and upward, right? You'll be earning Obama kind of public speaking salaries going forward. <laughs> <laughs> if only, if only. <laughs> so what inspired you to do it? I mean, something so publicly and so brazen as a TED Talk to kind of talk about your challenges of coming out? You get put in a position wherever you are in life and whatever you've experienced, whether it be for a reason. But if you're there, I think you need or you should be able to give back and hopefully inspire other people or at least let people beneath you, whether it be age-wise or just in a seniority perspective, to let them understand the challenges that you have been through and hopefully make that path a little bit easier for them, whether it be, you know, someone that's gay or lesbian or trans. Obviously, I can't speak to the trans subject, but someone that's gay or lesbian going through college athletics at a very interesting and tumultuous time for me. I wanted other people to not make the same mistakes that I did. And I think anyone in any aspect of life that sees somebody that has potential wants to help them get to wherever they are. And so I think having gone through my experience, I wanted other people that are in college, specifically college athletics, that are dealing with their sexuality, to be able to to see someone that had regrets for not doing what I didn't do in terms of coming out while playing. So yeah, I mean, that was kind of the motivation behind it. And I realized and saw how much my performance suffered my senior year because of that. And so Again, if you're an athlete or if you're you know, already in the working environment, your performance definitely suffers because of it, or at least it did for me. Everyone has to come out on their own terms, but if you're doing it for the right reason, then I think your, your performance and efficiency will 
be much better once you're able to bring your full self to the athletic field or to the work environment. Sure. So can you explain to us, why do you think your performance started to suffer your senior year and maybe not earlier or later? So that summer right before my senior year was the summer with the Marriage Equality Act that passed in June. And then a couple of weeks shortly thereafter was the Kim Davis refusing to issue a marriage license to a gay couple that was about 20 miles away from our university. So that was local news. So you had kind of the local effect on top of once the national coverage really picked up on that event. It just felt like I was in the worst possible environment at that time, or at least it seemed that way for me. So I think it really started to have an effect on me because right after the Marriage Equality Act passed, I started talking to the first guy that I'd talked to in a serious sense in terms of trying to create a relationship and be in a relationship. And then it was also, I'm talking with NFL agents, Michael Sam, and his coming out process had happened six to eight months prior. So that January, February, around his draft day, it seemed like everything that could possibly go on went on in that six months. And it was very much of a roller coaster ride. And so you're dealing with, okay, I'm trying to figure out how to be in a relationship. So I'd come out to my mom right before my senior season, but not my dad. So I'm dealing with that whole process. I'm taking my senior level finance classes. I'm talking to NFL agents and also trying to keep my job as a starting punter and also try to get to a bowl game. So there are a lot of things going on at once. And I think it kind of just roared its ugly head my senior season. Gotcha. Sounds like there's a lot of stress and a lot going on internally and externally at that time. Do you think that there was a part of you maybe subconsciously that thought, I can't be an out gay man and also be in the NFL? 100%. And that's really tough to say, but I absolutely, that went through my head. I dealt with that for you know over a year until after my senior season, until probably a year after I graduated, just having seen what Michael Sam went through. And I mean, I've talked to Michael uh, a couple of times here and there, and there's some more backstory to his whole situation, but just how that situation unfolded, making the judgment from the outside is that's kind of what I thought. And I was in a situation where I thought I could either try to make the NFL and potentially have my you know life torn apart in some sense and not the best timing trying to get my you know feet on the ground as I'm an adult and figure out what I want to do if the NFL doesn't work out or I could kind of put football behind me put sports behind me and just become a quote unquote normal person and you know go to work and not really have to be in the public eye and deal with the media or deal with any possible ramifications that I could possibly face. Yeah, it, it certainly went through my mind. Yeah, it sounds like it's a very difficult position to be in. You know, we don't get to choose our sexuality. We don't get to choose who we love. And oftentimes we don't get to choose the things that we're passionate about. And clearly you were passionate about sports and, and college football, especially. And, and sometimes those two things don't necessarily intersect in the best manner, right? And so you had to judge or make the decision as to which one of those would play a more dominant role in your life, I guess. Absolutely. No, you, you hit the nail on the head. And I was willing to sacrifice, you know, a football career to potentially create, you know, a, a better personal life outside that, you know, whether that was right or wrong. Like I certainly made some prejudgments on possibly how any future team or teammates would react. 
but they were somewhat informed, you know, judgments and having gone through my experience. So it wasn't completely random judgments or accusations or anything like that, but I valued a better personal life and other things other than just football to be a part of my life. I have to say thank you and appreciate that you have been as public as you have. It is sad that we are still at a point where there are industries, so to speak, and I consider professional sports an industry, that there are industries still where true recognition, the true ability to be your authentic self is still extremely difficult and has such a great amount of pressure that it may drive you away from that passion. So appreciate that you made that decision and you're sharing it with people because I think that there are a lot of young people out there who need to hear this message who are in sports and then be able to weigh that for themselves. You know, and let's hope that as the years go by, things change for sports. It would be awesome to see some out individuals. I think that there's been a number of examples of individuals who have played professional sports, but either did not come out until after their career was over or were very closeted, very secret about it, and it never got into the media, but eventually individuals were made aware of it. So hopefully you're helping change the tide with the mentality shift there. Yeah, exactly. And I appreciate that, but I was kind of in the same situation, right? So I came out after I got done playing and rather than it just being okay, yeah, I'm gay and I played, it's, okay, yeah, I'm gay, I played, don't wait till after you're done playing. That's the next step. And I think Colin Martin is the start of that. I hope other people follow in his footsteps, but you're in a position, especially once you're playing professionally, that, you know, it is your livelihood. So that is your source of income at that time. And you don't want, you don't want to put that at risk. And I think there's also some deeper psychological things as an athlete is, probably your entire life you've played whatever your respective sport is and so not only could you possibly lose your source of income but you know transitioning out of sports could be a whole nother talk but it's very difficult psychologically right to completely end your career and your identity as an athlete the potential for that happening is even added on top of the potential for loss of income that's a tough situation to be in so you know i hope more people are able to, to come out on their own terms, but certainly understand why you do wait. Right. It's such a shame that even today you still have to decide, do I want to be myself and be out and be with the person I love? Or do I want to have a career in what I'm good and passionate about having about doing with my life? I think broadly speaking, when people have trouble with LGBT people, I think it's Oftentimes it comes down to they think of the act of gay men having sex. Right. <laughs> and I think specifically for sports, it comes down to the idea that there might be a gay man in the locker room with me. That frustrates or that scares a lot of people for some reason. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I certainly would. You know, a number of people have asked me, it's like, why do sports take so long or why has sports taken so long to, as you said, become as inclusive? or maybe hasn't even reached that point yet, but what's taking it so long is, that's exactly right. I tell them, what type of work do you work in? Most likely, you're not in the shower with a hundred other guys that, you know, one is the m most hyper-masculine sport, and then, and then two, yeah, you're in a shower with a hundred guys. I don't think it would have been a problem, and, you know, I wish I would have been able to stand in front of the team and just say, hey, look, if it is a problem to you, like, I will shower in a completely different shower. I won't even shower. I'll leave right after, 
if that was the cause of concern, like it shouldn't be, but I would be willing to make sure that they didn't have that concern. But I think that is the limiting factor in terms of what's keeping it from being as inclusive as it could be. In hindsight, what do you think the response of your teammates and the fans and your coaches and all would have been had you come out while you were actually playing? That's a great question. And I don't know. Um, (laughs) I can tell you the response that I received since I did come out. Like it was incredible, especially from Kentucky fans. Yeah. Like I said, that was what I was most afraid of. I'm sure there are plenty of people that disagree and maybe weren't outwardly spoken against it to me, you know, but maybe having that conversation behind, not on Twitter or not, you know, to my face. I don't know. I don't know what the reaction would have been. It all depends on how you handle it, right? And I definitely could have handled it, you know, a a better way. Like I said, I was starting to talk to a guy. I think that by the end of the season, people started figuring that out. No one treated me any differently, but I also could have, you know, like I said, stepped in front of the whole team and explained the situation and at least be able to have that conversation or try to initiate that conversation. You know, you're in the closet and you're trying to keep it from everyone and you're almost ashamed of it rather than, you know, you want to at least have that conversation to explain things. Because, I mean, this is a value that I live by now is, you know, my truth is completely different than anybody else's truth. Mm -hmm. You know, whether that be religion, whether that be sexuality, whether that be the importance of a certain occupation or, or whatever you have it, you know, my truth is different than yours. And that doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong or you're right and I'm wrong. It's we're both right. And let's understand why we both believe or live the way that we do. And so I think I wish I would have had the courage to do that while I was playing and try to initiate that conversation. We've talked about the locker room aspect of it. I think that that for many people is, for lack of a better word, is very titillating to them because it does involve the whole idea of sexuality. And, you know, I hate to say it, but that is probably a subject of much fantasy in the gay male community, right? At the same time, it's a huge amount of fear on the straight male community. They have this massive amount of fear around that whole idea of a gay man finding them sexually attractive. For whatever reason, they think that, that then at the same time, they go off and have fantasies about lesbian women. But anyway, (laughs) that's a whole completely different topic. (laughs) But we oftentimes we see so many references to God in sports. You know, we see players kneeling down and praying before a game. We see coaches making reference to God wanted them to win and players pointing to the sky and attributing the touchdown to or the field goal, whatever it is, they attribute that to God. So it seems like there's just this dominating, I have to say, because it's America, probably Christian philosophy, especially organized team sports. And so I can't imagine that that kind of indoctrination, so to speak, at the player level from coaches or even the organizations themselves, how that might have an impact. What kind of impact does that have on players wanting to come out? Oh, that's an interesting question. We did have a team chaplain at Kentucky. That's an interesting perspective that you brought. I really don't know. I think, especially at the collegiate level, at an SEC or at a Power Five type school, and especially in the NFL, you have a lot of the players that are succeeding, right? So I'm speaking mostly for football and basketball, you know, most of the people that have succeeded or are continuing playing at the professional level have come from, you know, less than affluent areas, right? And so I think in those areas, there's a heightened 
you know, religious belief. And that's a broad judgment, but it's something that I've witnessed, at least in our, in our locker room. A lot of it is a culture. I wouldn't necessarily say it's the school or it's the, the idea of sports indoctrinating religion on it. Yeah, you pray before the game. Okay, you pray that no one has serious injuries. And, you know, I've never understood and we never did this as, you know, pray for a win or anything. That's a little too much for me. I didn't think much of it. Yeah, it's part of it, but I never felt, you know, I was like, it's not a, you know, Southern Baptist Sunday ceremony, you know, when we did have meetings with our chaplain. It's the culture that the players bring inside the locker room. And that speaks more so from where they're raised, right? And how they're raised rather than the school or the coaches or the sport indoctrinating the players, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Definitely. And that's great insight for David and me. Here's a quick word from our sponsor. If, like us, you're getting to a time in your life when you're starting to think about the financial ways of protecting your loved ones, Mass Mutual is there to help. Now let's get back to the show. Do you think that things have gotten better for LGBTQ athletes over the last 10, 20 or so years? I'd say they have to be. I mean, before there was absolutely no you know, LGBT in sports, or at least that I was aware of. And I think it's slowly but surely, you know, coming along, especially when I was in college, like I felt like there was somebody coming out left and right with Robbie Rogers, with Gus, and since then, Adam and all these people that are coming out. It's, I think it's getting better. And I don't think it's across the board, it's either better or worse. I think it's individual in terms of the sport that you're playing, in terms of the region that you're in, in terms of the culture of that team. Right. So you can be in a inner city and be playing on one football team or one basketball team that, OK, maybe, you know, one of their brothers is gay and then people figure that out. And there's an understanding of acceptance there. But across the street, there's another team that, OK, it might be reiterated by the coach. You know, it's calling somebody, you know, certain names that might shun that. I think we try to make judgments and vast accusations of different sports and different regions. But I think it's very independent of the culture that is created inside the locker room and on the field. It's as much organically created by the players and just as much created, you know, top down from the coach or athletic director or the overall culture of the school. It has gotten better across the board in the sense of visibility. But does that mean it's better on every single team? Absolutely not. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. And that's good insight as well. So to kind of tack on to your comment about how you struggled with your performance the last year of school, what do you think the financial consequences are for players or consequences in general are for players who do stay in professional athletics and who don't come out? That can go either way, right? So if, if somebody is in the closet and they absolutely don't want to try to enjoy that part of their life or try to you know, create a marriage or create a family, you know, it could go one of two ways. I could either, you know, get married to a woman and try to completely cover everything up. And then that could lead to so much more trouble, you know, personally. And that would possibly affect in a negative sense, their performance on the field and their personal financials, you know, with the divorce and with the kid and everything for obvious reasons. Or you could go the completely opposite route. And with all that energy and all that time that you're not spending with a spouse or with a boyfriend or with a girlfriend, you know, you could be getting better and focusing just on the sport. And that could potentially pay off, you know, in a big way 
if you get your second contract in the NFL and, you know, you're performing much better because that's all you're focusing on. And, you know, people joke, but it's like, you know, if you're married to the game and that's what you enjoy and that's what you love, you know, because you don't want to focus on the other part of your life or other parts of your life, you could possibly make much more money and gain financially. So I think it's more likely the first one, you know, if you become too focused on anything, then you're probably going to put too much pressure on yourself and not enjoy other parts of your life that could definitely have negative ramifications. And I'd say that occurs more so than the latter, but that's up to you know, individuals that are in that situation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, there are some studies out, several studies out that show that 70 plus percentage of workers are hiding some aspect of themselves at work, and then that prohibitively affects their performance at their job, whatever their job is. And so I can't help but think that has to also apply to professional athletes as well. Oh, certainly agree. Yeah. And kind of in line with that, there was just recently a study from the University of Surrey that showed that the unconscious bias of hiring managers toward people who appeared to be LGBTQ weren't necessarily LGBTQ, but they appeared to be. Do you think that that also plays a role in professional athleticism as well? Um, I don't know. In the world of athletics, I think it's the benefit is it is very objective in how well you perform. It's very technical in most areas and most positions of sports. I mean, I'm speaking as a punter kicker. It's very, you determine you know, how well you perform and it's very much based on you and you and yourself. I can't imagine that that would be the case, but I also can't imagine that it would, right? So, I mean, you know, especially women's basketball or some other sports that, yes, if there's any thought of it, and especially if that coach or those owners are against that, then yeah, I'm sure there is bias there. It might not even be unconscious, but it could be conscientious decisions that, okay, we know that this could possibly be a problem on our team and we don't want that. With the NFL, it could possibly be a problem, you know, with the media having seen it happen before and we don't want that problem. And so I think I can see how it would. <laughs> I'm definitely giving you a wishy-washy answer, but it could be the case. But I also think if they're specifically focused on, on winning in the sport, which is the whole point, you know, you're going to be objective in your decision making. Yeah, yeah I, I would I, have to agree with that. Yeah. And I would say, especially with basketball and football for men, it's traditionally very masculinized. So individuals who have the appearance of being very hyper-masculine or very masculine are probably not going to be, appear as being a gay man. On the other right, side, right. with women's sports, you mentioned the WNBA, and I think the WNBA has actually come out in several occasions in favor of or supportive of the LGBT community because there are some out female basketball players, right? And so they have a little bit more awareness that it's actually there Whereas with some of the male sports, it's a little bit harder for it to be found. It's not easy to look at somebody and say, well, that guy clearly is a homosexual. But when you look at some women in basketball, they've already come out. So they've already started. They all have to address it. There's probably a little bit of progress forward in that sport, whereas there's still some opportunity for progress in some of the more masculinized male sports. Agreed. Agreed. So you're going from one pretty masculine career to another 
pretty masculine career <laughs> in financial <laughs> services. It's where David and I came from. We kind of grew up there. I do have to say, though, that financial services has gotten a lot better, especially in the last 10 years, being more inclusive of women. But you're getting into financial services. What made you go from playing football to playing with money? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think uh, financial services attracts athletes to begin with. Again, it's a very objective type of skill or type of knowledge, right? It's less liberal arts-esque and more technical focused. And that's something that I really enjoy. And that's something that helped me succeed in sports before, whether it be soccer or football. And so I think those skills and that type of mindset is very transferable into the financial services. I grew up loving business, you know, watching Shark Tank, watching The Profit, watching The Apprentice. <laughs> and so like that was, I was always a business-minded person. My grandfather owned a suit shop in Northeast Tennessee and my aunt started her own jewelry business and my dad went and got his MBA from Vanderbilt. And so it's always been part of my life and thinking of businesses. And I enjoy working on a team. It shouldn't matter. I experienced what I experienced in sports. And I think being able to bring my full self going forward and the fact that if I get stuck on this team or put on this team, whatever team I'm put on to work on whatever deal we're working on, I'm able to bring my full self there and explain, hey, look, yes, I played at almost the highest level and I'm also gay. That doesn't matter. You know, you did X, Y, and Z. That's awesome. Like, I respect that and I want to learn more. That's it, right? It's being able to bring your full self and it doesn't matter what your past is or, I mean, it matters who you are as long as you're working together towards a same goal. That's what I really picked up from sports and how I think it should be more inclusive because that's the whole idea of the locker room mm -hmm. is you completely leave your ego at the door, hopefully, especially on a team sport, all to just get a win, right? There are so many things and so many duties and so many jobs that everybody has to do and perform well to succeed on just each individual play. And you hopefully do that to ultimately win a game. And then that's all that really matters is a one in the win column or a one in the loss column. And so, so much time and effort and energy gets put into practicing that and during the off season and preparing for the game and studying video and meeting with your coaches just for, you know, a one in the win column or a one in the loss column. That transfers well over to financial services and yeah, so that's long-winded answer, but that's my thought process. Sure. Somewhat off topic. It's interesting that you, you mentioned that there do seem to be a lot of people who are in sports who gravitate towards financial services. I've seen that just paying attention to the industry as well as my time in financial services. I worked with a couple of semi-pro and former pro athletes in financial services. And I think it's interesting that you say that because I do believe that there's that contradiction of the ESPN study that came out a couple of years ago that said that 78 percent, I might be kind of off there, 78% of pro athletes end up bankrupt after they finish playing. So it's almost because <laughs> why is there this contrast and who can fix that? <laughs> I mean, you look at, you know, 78% of professional athletes, those are probably not the majority of the people going into financial services. I agree. I think, you know, maybe you shouldn't go to them to get, <laughs> to get investment advice or anything like that. But yeah, I think it is interesting. You're right. I think it's more focused on, you know, as an athlete, you're very task oriented, right? And it's just do the next job correctly, do the next job correctly. And I think the people that really succeed are, okay, why am I doing this next job? Or why am I doing, you know, this, this, and this in the broad scheme of what are we providing this firm? What are we providing our client? I don't want to say it's easy because it takes somebody that is very resilient and that is very disciplined 
to sit down and do something that seems you know menial over and over again, but it takes a different skill set to be able to take a step back and and look at whether it be a spreadsheet or look at a merger model or look at three financial statements and see how everything ties together and why we're providing our client what we're trying to provide. Absolutely. Maybe you're not in the in the industry enough yet, but would you encourage other LGBTQ people to get into financial services with you? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, yeah, I'm not necessarily in the industry quite yet. From everyone that I've talked to, I think it's very accepting. You know, I've talked to a couple of people that are decently high up in different banks and, you know, all the bigger banks especially are very inclusive and have to be. But I think they also make it a genuine priority because I think they realize how important that is, you know, to LGBT people and just to the company in general. Being able to provide, whether it be your client or anybody, the best of services, you have to be able to bring your full self and work on a team. So, yeah, I imagine it's very inclusive for anybody. Yeah, we do see sort of that evolution. David and I have spoken the last couple of years at the Women in Diversity Symposium at the University of Akron. And then we just spoke with Todd Sears from Out Leadership. And he has a whole theory and study on the return on equality. And he's you know selling to these Fortune 500 companies the actual bottom line positive results of creating inclusive environments that's inclusive of all sexual orientations and gender identities. And when you present those statistics, I think it's exactly like sports. When you present those statistics, those numbers to the leaders of these organizations, they, like the coaches, are thinking, I don't care about that person's sexual orientation or gender identity. If it's going to help my bottom line, if it's going to raise our revenue, if it's going to help our shareholders, just like if it's going to help us win on the ball field, we don't care. And that's where we should be getting to. That's the goal anyway, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think if you are able to show those tangible results, any CEO or CFO is they're going to say yes. I mean, that's their job is to provide a net positive return on any investment. And so certainly think if you can show that in an objective and tangible way, I don't know how you would, but it certainly would provide added benefits to be inclusive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just a, a question for you here. You mentioned at the outset and after watching your TED Talk, you're fairly vocal about this idea of the fact that you wish you had been out had come out to your team, to other individuals while you were playing sports because you think it would have been a benefit to you as a, potentially a career football player. Now that you're embarking on this new path being a financial analyst, so as you go down this new path in the financial world, how will being out and sharing your story have an impact on what you do as you move forward? Do you see yourself as having the potential to do things differently or maybe add some additional benefit because you are out? Yes and no. If it comes up in any conversation, it's a point in conversation that it might surprise a lot of people given other points on my, you know, in my background and on my resume. And that's happened before. And then you talk about that. It is an interesting point, an interesting combination. But then once you get into the job, it's again, it shouldn't matter whether I'm gay or straight to get the job and it shouldn't matter once I'm in the job. It's a very objective goal that you're trying to accomplish. It shouldn't matter for them and it shouldn't matter for me. We're, you know, we're there to accomplish whatever we're trying to accomplish. But on the other side, yes, if somebody is interested or somebody is, you know, wanting to have that conversation, it does allow you to bring your personal life into you know, becoming good teammates or becoming good colleagues working on something because you also know 
you know, what they value outside of the work environment. It works both ways. It shouldn't matter and it won't affect how well I perform in the work setting. But with that being said, it hopefully will allow me to bring my full self to work and, you know, be able to have those conversations and not be afraid to, yeah, talk about going on dates or talk about, you know, certain things in my personal life that I probably would have been afraid of beforehand. You know, just based on what you said in the TED Talk, and I'm going to forget the name of the player that you mentioned at the beginning of your TED Talk, who was one of the first African-American players in college ball, or at least in the SEC. I get the impression from what you said there that you had the opportunity to be somewhat of a pioneer or somewhat of a, an example to individuals both inside the community and outside the community. Do you think there's the opportunity to continue that desire to be an example to individuals in the LGBT community when you move into financial services? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are a number of different organizations that do provide that mentorship and, and understanding and guidance as you go into financial services or business in general. They also cover you know, management consulting and some auditing and tax services. But yeah, there's certainly the platform to you know be able to be a mentor and be able to give back and try to be someone that you know other people look up to. It's a lot more prevalent in terms of, you know, just pure number bases mm-hmm. of out people, whether it be lesbian or gay or trans and business. But that doesn't mean there's an abundance of them or that I can't possibly have that effect. Like I've always tried to be a mentor to people below me and that's not going to stop. But, you know, I also I'm at the very bottom level right now. And so I'm looking to them and having those conversations with them of how have you handled your career as being out? What are different ways that that you do bring your personal life into work and how do you also keep a good boundary? So it's like those are the questions that that I've had in conversations that I've had with different directors at different banks and trying to understand how they've handled their career and how the times have changed throughout their, you know, 20 plus year career, which is obviously they've seen a lot more change than I have. Right. You're always trying to learn and you're always trying to be a mentee, but you're also always trying to give back. So that's kind of how how I see it. I love it. David and I have been on a mission the last couple of years to try to get more LGBTQ people into C and E-suite level positions and also getting more LGBTQ people into financial services. So we're excited to have you on our team. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm always here. (laughs) So to kind of wrap things up, I'm curious, you know, you've lived a little bit (laughs) post-college. You've lived several months since your TED Talk. You're delving into your new career. What would you tell a 15 or 18-year-old player who was struggling with their sexual orientation or gender identity and wanted to be their honest selves on the high school field or the college field? Well, one, you have to be able to look into the mirror and kind of come out to yourself, right? And a lot of people, especially in athletics, try to shun that or you resent that. And so I think it's one is just be able to look into the mirror and acknowledge it and realize it's okay. It's normal. And so that's the first thing. And then the second is if you're actually trying to come out and be an out athlete is, yeah, be able to to have those conversations and understand the different people that are going to be affected by it. So be able to have that conversation with, with your coach and, you know, how he thinks you should handle it. Not saying that you should listen to him and that he's always right, but at least get his perspective and also your parents and also, you know, probably your best friends on the team to begin with. And then 
if you're not a captain, then talk to the captains and, you know, just kind of organically kind of create that, which is easier said than done because in your mind, you're going to say, okay, if I come out to one person, then everybody's going to know by the next day. Right. And not, not saying that that's not going to happen, but no one's going to hold that against you that you're trying to do the right thing. Right. And it's, even harder in, in high school just because you're you know 14 to 16 and so that presents different challenges but everyone comes to that realization at a different time you'll realize you know when that time is right for you but i think the biggest thing is at least be willing to have that conversation that's the whole idea of more people coming out at like the higher levels hopefully to give that awareness and to give that representation to realize that there are other people because that was the biggest thing for me is when I was coming up is I didn't see anybody. I didn't see anybody in college or definitely not in the NFL that was out. And so I just thought, okay, there's no possible way that you can possibly play football and be gay. And so I was like, well, I'm still good at football. So <laughs> just going to keep on that path and then, you know, not even acknowledge the other, but you can be both. And so that's, that's kind of the, idea that we can ho hopefully have an effect on other people. We'll get there. I'm just Absolutely. to tack on to what you said, and I'm going to reference back to the Todd Sears episode. I think it's episode 108 of the podcast. He mentioned when speaking to individuals who are scared to come out, there are more people out there who want you to be your true self than there are people who don't. Maybe sometimes the people who don't want you to be are some of the close people around you, but those other people they will be there for you. They will be there as your support system. So remember that those people are the most important ones for you. Absolutely. The ones that are going to care or the ones that do care about you as a junior one person are going to care about you after you come out. They're not going to care. And so they're not going to care that you're gay or straight. So quit really letting other people that don't genuinely care about you, don't let them continue to possibly run your life in terms of the decisions you make and don't make. At the end of the day, then you're not even living your life just because of the potential ramifications that you could face. I think about that, isn't that the kind of the same place where many of us are at financially as well? Many people live this life, financial life, they spend based on trying to uh, appeal other people. And we know how detrimental that is to your finances when you're buying homes or you're having a family or you're buying cars or wearing clothes and all that is done to appease your parents or your best friends or the neighborhood, you know, all of that is, it's just a front, it's a facade and eventually comes crashing down. Well, the same thing will happen with who we are as individuals on the inside. We'll come crashing down emotionally if we're trying to live a life for someone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've appreciated having you on our show. It's been very insightful. How can our listeners continue to follow you and, and your career as you graduate and move on? Yeah, absolutely. So my Twitter is LandonFoster09. And then my Instagram is LandonFoster9. And yeah, that's probably the two best ways. <laughs> nice. I guess, I'm guessing um, you were number nine on the football team. <laughs> I was. Yes, yes. I'm smart. Yeah. <laughs> well, guess, well, thank guess. you so much for coming on our show. We appreciate it. I think this is going to be insightful for our community. And we do have several young listeners who do listen to our show. And I think you know, this will be inspiring to them and, and their friends. So I know you might, in hindsight, regret not coming out early, but I think everything happens for a reason. And you'll realize that it happened at the right time because it helped the right people. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you.
Thank you, Lyndon, for sharing your compelling story. We have no doubt that you'll help change the way people in sports look at their queer teammates and that you'll do the same in business. If you, our listeners, like this episode, please take a screenshot on your phone of this episode, share it on Instagram along with your favorite point or quote, and tag at Queer Money Podcast. To learn more about our sponsor, MassMutual, or to find an advisor, visit MassMutual.com. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.